There's also kind of a challenge to that because we, we do want more transparency and authenticity, especially from our leaders and our coworkers, our peers. But at the same time, we also keep hearing about this cancel culture, right? So there are kind of two, two opposing forces. On the one hand, we want you to be open and authentic and transparent. But on the other hand, if you say something wrong or if we take something out of context, people are going to come for you with pitchforks. So it's a very delicate balance. And this is why I think now it's a very, very hard time to be a leader because you're, you're kind of split, right? People want that authenticity and transparency, but they want it in a way where you don't make any mistakes and everything that you say is correct. Otherwise, people will come for you. The topics and opinions expressed in the following show are solely those of the hosts and their guests and not those of W4CY Radio, its employees or affiliates. We make no recommendations or endorsements for radio show programs, services or products mentioned on air or on our web. No liability explicit or implied shall be extended to W4CY Radio or its employees or affiliates. Any questions or comments should be directed to those show hosts. Thank you for choosing W4CY Radio. Welcome back, everyone, to the Geeks, Geezers, and Googleization Show, the home of Googleization Nation, where we talk with HR and business thought leaders about the crazy shift going on in the world of business, technology, and HR. Here's your host, Ira Wolf. Hey there, Googleization Nation. It's great to be back in the host seat. Thank you, Jason, for filling in over uh, the last couple of weeks while I've been out and about and pretty busy schedule there talking about living in the age of Googleization of um, basically volatility, uncertainty, complexity, and ambiguity. Pretty fast world. So, so many things have happened. It's it's sort of crazy. I think that the headline that, that struck me just in the last day or two, or not the last day or two, but early in the week was I was contacted by a TV station to comment on why the Denver airport held a job fair. They expected 5,000 people to show up to fill a thousand jobs that are open at the airport. They had a hundred people show up Oh no! and two people got hired. <laughs> Did you say two? Two. Yeah. So it's absolutely amazing. Uh, I mean, that someone would think that, you know, we're talking, we're going to talk about leadership today with the, you know, great guest, Jacob Morgan, talking about the future leader, but, you know, thinking about people in charge, responsibilities that we have and people thinking the old way, just, just the ways that, you know, they, they were always doing it. It always worked in the past. So let's just throw more money at it, more effort, more resources, and it's bound to work. That's right. It's it's not going to happen. But I know you had a great, great interview uh, just two weeks ago with Jonathan Dunn. It was a phenomenal interview. Thank you. Appreciate it. And then last week, uh, we had a repeat episode with Dr. Solomon, Yoram Solomon, about trust, which is one of the most popular episodes we've ever had. But here we are today in an event we've been waiting for for a while. Jacob Morgan, I, I told Jacob right before we were on, on the air, He's incredible. I mean, I've been told I create a lot of content and he is just the content he has. It's not only on a regular basis, not only consistent, but it's good. It's, it's really challenging. It's provocative and on, on all the topics. And I know you you were talking about some things that were changed, some 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 trends in leadership that were, were pretty powerful. So I'll, I'll throw it over to you. 
Yeah, absolutely. I, I can't wait to learn from Jacob today. His books have changed my life. And I don't, you know, say that in the sense of, you know, hyperbole, like it literally has, like he was the first expert that really taught me through his books and his content about employee experience and how to approach that and how to support our clients at do lead. And I, I tell you, leaders, I'm glad we're talking about leaders today and the research and the work that he's put into understanding this and actually working hand in hand with the top executives in the world at Fortune 100 companies. Because listen to these stats, Ira. I mean, this is absolutely startling right now. This is from Deloitte just a few months ago regarding senior leadership. 82% of senior leaders are reporting exhaustion to the levels of being symptomatic of burnout. Of those 82% of those senior leaders starting to feel burnout, 96% of them are reporting a decline in their mental health. And then as a psychologist, this is the, the last one here I'm about to share. This is the one that is the most startling and urgent to me. And that is 41% of those senior executives find it difficult to speak up about it or ask for help. Yes, the whole stigma of admitting that you as a senior leader might be experiencing symptoms of burnout or that you might be starting to buckle under the pressures and the anxiety, possibly depression of what you're feeling in this current market. And so I know we're not going down the rabbit hole of mental health today, but I think so much of what we're going to hear from Jacob today regarding the future leader is about how do we not only help leaders right now focus on what's most important, but also what are the tools and resources that Jacob has and uses with these top leaders to get them to also project into the future so that they don't, they don't feel like they're always chasing their tail every day and yeah, putting out fires for sure. And, and right in the beginning of, of Jason's, of the book of Jacob's book, he, there was a quote and this just struck me out and this was done from 2018. So I can't imagine what it would be now, but there was a survey and it said that 80% of employees said they can do their job without their managers. And now think about the hybrid workplace. So, and then in context of today is what does that lead, what does a leader do? I mean, I, I think they're really struggling. They just don't know what to do. And, and Jacobs identified what he calls the notable nine. So I don't know if we'll get over all nine, but we're going to talk about the notable nine today. And without further ado, why don't we bring Jacob on rather than talking about him in, in the third person? Here. <laughs> so, Hey, welcome Jacob. Hey, thanks for having me. Appreciate appreciate you being here. And so you, you got the, the lead in to this, you know, where we are. Things are obviously changing and people are struggling, you know, from from a skill set of how to manage this VUCA world, the volatile, uncertain, complex and ambiguous world that we live in. Even grasping what does that mean? Yep. And, and you've reached out to, I think, 140 plus CEOs and, and had interviews with them which is just extraordinary that the time involved in the extent of being able to do that. So <laughs> we're interesting to pick their brains <laughs> that, that you've done that work for us. I'd like to start out with a pretty basic question. And you started out in your book with this question. And it's surprisingly how many people struggle with, with an answer is what is leadership? Yep. Yeah. That's the question I always like to ask business executives when I interview them, because I find that I get different answers all the time. Some similarities, of course, pop up, but by and large, everyone has a very different definition of leadership. For me personally, it's about the ability to influence change. It's about the ability to see a vision for a better world or a better organization. 
to be able to make that a reality, to get people to want to go along with that vision and to do so in a way where you're putting your people first. So those things come together. When I think about leadership, that's, that's what I think of, at least from a business context. What, so what has, you know, over the last two years, I mean, it, it's been incredible. I mean, we, yep. we've, I've been right. You've been, you've been talking about this for a while. You know, I talked about the perfect storm, perfect labor storm, you know, as early as 1999, uh, what, you know, wasn't any fixed date on it, but it was sometime in, you know, two or three decades later, which is now. And then sort of overnight, uh, March 2020, sort of like, yeah, here we are, <laughs> you know, we're standing here and a lot of disruption. Was there anything significant that you saw change in, in I guess, how people defined leadership, uh, you know, between February 2020 and March 2020? <laughs> well, it's hard to say if there was a difference in definition of leadership between that time period. I think it certainly helped accelerate some of the changes that we've been seeing. But I think if you were to look back throughout history and you ask people who's a great leader, they would typically point to somebody from a business context somebody who's able to grow a business, generate financial returns. And I think more and more we're shifting away from just looking at leadership in terms of dollars and cents into thinking of leadership in terms of someone who is able to create a better world or to create a better organization. And sure, part of that could be dollars and cents and growing a great organization, but that's not like the singular focus. More and more, when I ask business executives to define leadership for me, they don't even bring up dollars and cents. They don't bring up you know, making your company number one or, you know, shareholder value. They talk about things like vision and putting people first and leaving the world better than when they, when they first got here, creating a lasting legacy, helping unlock the potential of others. So more and more we're shifting away to purely dollars and cents to really, I think, focusing on the human aspect of leadership, unlocking the potential of others. And again, the byproduct of that, when you do that, is the financial returns and the financial performance. But I think it starts with the people. And we're definitely seeing that shift, especially as a result of COVID, because now everybody's having to, you know, we're having conversations through cameras and we are required as leaders to be more empathetic, to be more human, because you're not just gonna jump on a phone call or a video call now and say, hey, what about those sales figures? Like you gotta start these phone calls and start talking about how are you, are you safe? How is your family? It's also been interesting to see over the past few years, we've moved away from this conversation of purely focusing on AI and automation. Like, remember those conversations a couple of years ago, everybody used to say, ah, oh, automation's coming for your job. Like everyone's in trouble. You don't hear about that anymore. <laughs> you know, instead, these conversations are being replaced by, you know, how do we become more human? How do we connect with each other? How do we create trust and purpose and meaning and impact? So I think it's very palpable and tangible, this change that we're seeing to focusing on people and humans. You mentioned about the digital, and I, I recognized this last year. There, were, there was this like instant, from a leadership role, this instant vulnerability, this transparency, this authenticity. When yeah. a leader before, you can imagine, and we go back to February 2020, having a meeting and say, oh, I can't come into work today. My child's sick. And they go, but that's your responsibility. You need to be there. You need, you need to be here. We're paying you yeah. to be here. And, and if you were on a call and there was an interruption, a child came in, knocked on the door, there was a phone call, you had to answer, you know, get your FedEx package. It was like, you need to focus. You need to be on this call. And all of a sudden yeah. the CEO is saying, oh, excuse me a minute. My grandchild's running up. Oh, my cat just jumped up on my desk. Oh, the phone's ringing. The prepare guy's coming. I'll be right back. 
and really created an opportunity to take down that 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 firewall between the you know production floors of the rest of the world and the C-suite. And and hopefully that was one thing that we that many of us said we hope that is sustained. Go yeah, on. there's also kind of a challenge to that because we we do want more transparency and authenticity, especially from our leaders and our coworkers, our peers. But at the same time, we also keep hearing about this cancel culture, right? So there are kind of two two opposing forces. On the one hand, we want you to be open and authentic and transparent. But on the other hand, if you say something wrong or if we take something out of context, people are going to come for you with pitchforks. So it's a very delicate balance. And this is why I think now it's a very, very hard time to be a leader because you're you're kind of split, right? People want that authenticity and transparency, but they want it in a way where you don't make any mistakes and everything that you say is correct. Otherwise, people will come for you. So as a leader, you can imagine you're sort of torn, right? Because you have things that you want to share. You want to be more authentic and transparent, but you're also scared that if you say something and you make a mistake, they could end your career and your job. And there are a lot of examples of this. The one that I keep coming back to, I don't know if you guys heard about this story. It was a, a VP at Google. Did you guys hear about this story, by the way? I'm not sure. Yeah. Could you reference it real quick, Jacob? I know Google has made the news here quite a bit in the last <laughs> few months for several different reasons. Yeah, so it was it was interesting. I think he was the VP of engineering at Google. I can't remember exactly what his name is, but he shared this very, very personal story of how he grew up anti-Semitic when he was younger. And this is just what he was taught. This is the culture that he was brought up in. This is the environment that he was a part of. And he grew up just, just believing this, like this was instilled in him. And he wrote this whole article on LinkedIn, basically talking about how he learned why this is so bad, why this is not the right way to live and, and why it's so important to practice love and acceptance and kindness and compassion. And he was so authentic and so transparent just about everything. And he ended up getting fired from the company for, for, for sharing this. Now, I don't know, like the inner workings behind the scenes, obviously at Google, but at least from the facade, a lot of people were saying, you know, why is this person getting fired? He, he shared this very open and honest and transparent thing. And if you look at the comments on LinkedIn, you get people who are saying, wow, you know, this is amazing that you came forward and you were so courageous kind of admitting where you came from. And then you also have other people on there who are like, shame on you, you racist, like you know, people are coming after him. And again, he was an executive at Google. And this is, I think, a good example of the tough balance that we're faced with. Can you come forward and admit your mistakes, regardless of how small or large they are, but at the same time, deal with or be scared of the potential backlash that might come after you? And it's, it's tough. You know, a lot of leaders are, they don't know what to do because it's, you know, it could be career ending. That's you know? a great point, Jacob. Are there any particular executives you've spoken with or that you know that you think are a, a model example for how to toe that line? Yeah, I mean, one of the most recent ones that I talked to is the CEO of Newell Brands. And they're the company that have, you know, they own Sharpie and you know, um, his name is uh, Ravi Saligram. So Newell Brands, a huge, huge company. I think they have 30,000 employees or so around the world. Rubbermaid, Coleman, Sharpie. Those are some of the brands that they have. And I was asking him this question too. And I said, you know, how do you, how do you balance this? And we had a conversation about that. And I think it's, we decided we didn't have like a definite answer, but we talked about this and, and agreed that there are kind of like three pillars to this. 
Number one is from an organizational perspective, whether it is an official policy or a statement or something that HR puts together, but the organization needs to say that collectively, we understand that there is need for transparency and authenticity. And we believe in that. And we want our leaders to be authentic and transparent. But at the same time, we want to create an organization that is safe. And we want to acknowledge that people will make mistakes and that we're all human. And that if somebody does make a mistake, we are not going to create an environment where we just come after people and, and you know, with, with, with pitchforks and just, you know, wanting to tear them down. That's not the kind of an organization that we want to be a part of. So basically creating some sort of a statement that says we want that authenticity and transparency, but we acknowledge and understand that we're all human beings and we don't want to create an environment where we come after each other and try to hurt each other. So that's the first pillar. Second pillar is, is, is a leader. What do you do as a leader? You communicate that to your employees and say, look, I understand that there's a need for transparency and authenticity. And I, and I, and I want to share that with you, but I also want you as an employee or as a team to understand that I'm human and I will probably make mistakes. And it's not because I'm doing it to offend you. It could be because I'm unaware of certain issues because th these are just my experiences. And maybe, maybe I'm ignorant to some things out there. I know I certainly am. And just cut me, cut me some slack, right? Give me a break. If you see that I'm saying something or if I'm doing something that maybe doesn't rub you the right way, like come talk to me about it first before you just come after me. And if we can agree that we'll have that open dialogue and communication, I'm happy to be authentic and transparent with you just Let's be human about it. And then the third pillar of this is we, as, as employees, just as human beings, we need to remember to give each other a break, to cut each other some slack. It's very tempting when somebody does or says something to immediately like jump after them. But we don't understand where they're coming from, why they said it, how they were raised. You know, they're, they're, they're like, we don't understand where this came from. So, and you know, my wife and I, we try to practice this in our personal lives all the time with friends, you know, if friends say something or do something or family members do something. We try not to be like, oh my God, that person is so stupid. Like, how could they say that? We try to just take a step back and say, well, you know what? Let's give them a break. They probably didn't mean to offend us. You know, they probably didn't mean to, you know, say what they said. It just kind of came out that way. You know, we can have a conversation about it. So I think across the board, we just need to remember we're human beings. We need to be more accepting and we need to just give each other a break. Life is hard as it is, right? Just being a human being is hard. We don't need to like try to come after each other and tear each other down all the time. And I think if we can just remember that, <laughs> that it'll be much easier, you know, to live and work with each other. Jake, you kind of summed this up and, and I think, I assume you have some you know, the, your book and the notable nine addresses some of this. How, how do we help leaders do it? But you talk about this. I mean, and, and before COVID, the book came out, you know, leading, you wrote about leading leaders today are struggling. Unfortunately, most of leaders today are bluntly speaking, not good. It doesn't mean that they are bad people, but the way we teach and talk about leadership is, is antiquated. And that's largely what leaders today are familiar with. What I like is your analogy. It's, it's like a, a modern jet airplane when you train people on the original Wright Brothers plane. <laughs> We can, we can take off, we can get up in the air, but you're not going to go very far. And unfortunately, many organizations and many leaders are, are crashing. You know, yep. Jason, you cited that. So what, you know, everything you talk about, I mean, there's a group that says, yeah, 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 we all, we all need to be, to acknowledge that we've got our blinders on. We've got our blind spots. We need to acknowledge that we need to be more open-minded. How do we get there? Because we're, we're certainly in this, 
you know, very divisive world. There's a right and, and there's a wrong. Yeah. Something what should not be, but vaccine mandates, you know, there's people quitting work because they have to get vaccinated and there's people not going to work because not everybody wants to get vaccinated. <laughs> you're a leader, you're a head of an organization. Share some advice. What are some steps we can take to, to at least incrementally close that gap? <laughs> sure. Well, in the book, I talk about four mindsets and five skills. And I think practicing these mindsets and skills is ultimately what, what closes that gap. So from the 140 CEOs I interviewed, I basically asked them to be a leader in this new world of work and even to lead over the next 10 years or so. How should we be thinking and what do we actually need to know as leaders know how to do? And so that's where these four mindsets and five skills came up. These mindsets, the way that you think, these include things like surrounding yourself by people who are not like you, having a, a growth mindset. They include thinking big picture, things like balancing humanity and technology. They include things like understanding that you as a leader, part of your responsibility is to serve others, but also to practice self-care, right? Looking after yourself. Uh, they include things like agility and being nimble, ways of thinking. And then the skills include things like knowing how to make other people more successful than you how to be a great listener and communicator, which is actually tough in this new world that we're all a part of, how to practice emotional intelligence, specifically empathy and self-awareness, how to think in terms of scenarios and possibilities, how to embrace different technologies that are out there. I think in conjunction, when we can start to embrace these ways of thinking and start as leaders to practice these skills, we will inherently close that gap. We will find that we are leaders who people want to work with and for that we will create organizations where people actually want, not where they need to show up to work each day. So there's not like one thing, you know, there's not one mindset in, in one particular skill. I think uh, what these CEOs identified is that there are nine things in total, but the simple way is to start. And oftentimes people get overwhelmed when they think about change and transformation. And I always use the quote that somebody shared with me many years ago, and I, I can't even remember who it was. And they said, nobody likes the journey to Disneyland, but everybody likes Disneyland when they actually get there. Meaning that it's, it's not so much change that we fear, it's the process. Because oftentimes when we go through the change, you know, we see this in our personal lives, right? You see somebody who's overweight and you try to get them to, to lose weight and get healthy. Somebody who's smoking and you get them to stop smoking. The process of change is annoying. Right. Especially you're trying to like lose weight and exercise. It's like, I got to eat healthy food now, broccoli. Oh my God, this sucks. I'm hungry all the time. So that, that part is painful. Exercising, you know, my muscles hurt, my body aches. Like what the hell is this? But then after you've completed some of that transformation and you look in the mirror and you're like, Hey, wait a minute, I look freaking good. Like I, you know, I, I'm sleeping better. I have more energy. Like, I really like the way I look. This is great. So you like the Disneyland, but you don't like the journey of actually getting there. And the way that I think we as leaders and even as employees can combat that is to remember to focus on small, gradual things that we can do every day. And I like to call it the 1% a day challenge, meaning that if you can improve by 1% a day, then by the end of the year, you're going to be 37 times better. So what does 1% a day look like for a leader? Small things. Maybe for 10, 15 minutes a day, you listen to a podcast about something new, right? So you can think big picture. Maybe you go up to one of your employees or coworkers and just say, hey, I just wanted to say thank you for the hard work that you're doing. I really appreciate it. Maybe you do walking meetings. 
some executives told me that part of the way that they're practicing self-care is that they're just drinking a gallon of water a day because they know that they need to stay refreshed and hydrated because they're constantly having meetings with others. Like we're talking about little things here that you can do every day to make you a better leader, a better human being. And that's going to, I think, transcend and not just inside of work, but in your personal life as well. So just ask yourself, what can you do to improve by 1% a day each day and see what happens? That's such great advice, Jacob. I can't tell you the number of times as a psychologist when trying to help people put together behavior plans, you want to bite off more than you can chew, right? You're thinking, okay, I've got this goal. Here are the five to 10 things that I need to do in order to get there. And that's just our natural tendency to think the more we put in, the better the result's going to be at the end. When actually it's the inverse. If you consistently do well one thing and you start to stack healthy habits on top of each other over time, you know, James Clear's book on on atomic habits, perfect example of that. That's the way we are. And, And so helping these executives understand that you don't need to change everything. Start with one incrementally small thing. And then once you build that into a healthy habit, then you can move on to another thing so that they don't feel overwhelmed with, oh, goodness, now I've got to completely redo my people strategy. We've got to, you know, completely reconsider how we're doing rev ops. That's what I really love about your model is it takes what they think is complex and it really condenses it into something that's simple and doable. Yeah, I had BJ Fogg on my podcast a little while ago. And he wrote the book, Tiny Habits. So there's Tiny Habits, there's Atomic Habits. There's a lot of similar books that have been written over the years, which all have done research and found the same thing, right? You, you do small incremental change, which will lead to long-lasting impact. And uh, there's a quote that I have in the book from Ben Franklin, who famously said, small strokes spell great oaks. Meaning if you want to chop down a big oak tree, you're not going to do it in one swing. But if you make a bunch of tiny strokes over time, eventually that tree is going to fall down. And that's, I think, the same thing for leadership and for anything else in life. Jacob, we're going to take a a real short break. It's going to be just about a minute. But for all the listeners out there, you're listening to Geek Skeezers and Googleization. Joe, uh, thank you for being part of Googleization Nation. And you are listening to uh, Jacob Morgan. We're talking about the future leader. We're talking about how quickly things are changed, how leaders are struggling and how we can close that gap, not only for leaders, but for um, your human being, (laughs) your living and breathing, what needs to change. So we're going to take a real quick break. Stay tuned, just kind of commercial break for a minute, and we will be right back. Change doesn't pick favorites. No matter who you are or where you live, the year 2020 was filled with one unexpected challenge after another. According to the authors of The Adaptation Advantage, we are incredibly well prepared for the past, but woefully unprepared for the future. That leaves millions of people feeling scared, worried, frustrated, and confused. Whether you're the owner of a business or a worker out of a job, adaptability is now an essential skill you need to ride the next wave of normal. The good news is is that science shows that adaptability is learnable. Adaptability gives us the confidence and courage to think about change and embrace opportunity in the right way. Adaptability gives us hope for a better future. And goodness knows we need hope. Are you ready to embrace change and double down on your future? Contact Success Performance Solutions today to schedule a consultation about how you can reimagine your team's future, how you can begin to think about opportunity the right way.
Hey, welcome back everybody to Geek Skeezers and Googleization. Jacob, I changed my commercial today. That I dusted that off. I had that because I know in your book, your final statement was that you have the notable nine and you said if you wanted to add one to the list, it was hope. Yep. Uh, and I said, all right, I got to get this in. I mean, and because Jay, Jay, uh, Jason knows, every, you know, 75% of every day, I'm talking about adaptability, how we need to help people. And it's not only at the leadership level, you know, it's not only be keep helping people become more open-minded, to be more comfortable with change, unlearning their old behaviors, doing that one step at a time. If you're a human being on this planet, then you're going to have to learn how to adapt, <laughs> you know, going yeah. forward. What that does is it helps helps people become more hopeful. If people are more confident, if they feel that they have that skill, that ability to, yeah, there's going to be a lot of stuff thrown at us uh, to go forward and we hope. In talking to all these leaders, I mean, there's so much, you know, there's so much divisiveness, so much bad news, you know, we can't even get a, you know, an infrastructure bill. I mean, all this stuff that goes through that say, yeah, this makes sense. We not, we all agree we need to do it, but we're not going to do it because we don't like it and we're not going to give you the credit. What's the, op I mean, what's the level of optimism that, are you seeing optimism or, or are people terrified, fearful, fascinated? You know, the mar stock market's going up. So I guess some people are, <laughs> are pretty, pretty positive. I think there's a mix, right? You're always going to get people who are scared. You're always going to get people who are hopeful and optimistic. And you're always going to get people who are just apathetic and they don't care. I think as a leader, you need to have that optimism, that hopefulness, that positivity because a lot of people turn to you for, for, for guidance and for feedback. And I actually had Daniel Goldman on my podcast yesterday, who's known as the father of emotional intelligence. And we were talking about this and he was saying that it's crucial for leaders to be optimistic and hopeful because your emotions rub off onto others and it translates into performance as well. So if as a leader, you are constantly just down and upset or fearful and scared and the world's going to end, why bother doing anything? That's going to rub off, off onto your workforce. And that's going to rub off on all the people who are working with and for and near you. And that creates a toxic work environment for your people. Now, it doesn't mean that you need to have all the answers. Being optimistic and hopeful doesn't mean you know all the answers, but it means that you, you believe that things will get better and you are working towards making things better and creating that, that vision that other people should be a part of. And it might mean even that if, you know, if something bad happens and you don't know what the solution is and your people come to you and they say, oh my God, you know, the things are terrible. What are we going to do? As a leader, you have two choices, right? You could basically say, I know, oh my God, what are we going to do? This is like run. Or you could say, yeah, you know what? That's really unfortunate. And it's terrible that that happened, but I believe things will get better. I am hopeful that we will be able to figure this out. I don't know what the right answer is. I don't know exactly how we're going to get there, but I think together... We have an amazing team. I believe in our ability to find that opportunity to conquer this obstacle and this challenge. So stay with me on this. Let's work together on it. And I'm very excited for this future that we're going to build, right? I mean, you're still, you're not giving an answer. You're, you're still uncertain. You're still unsure, but you're, you're hopeful. You're optimistic. You're positive, And that's what people need, especially the people who work with and for you if you're a leader. So yeah, I think it's a very crucial skill and, and, and even a mindset to possess is that, that silver lining. And a lot of that starts with a mind with mindset. And you, you yeah. talk about out of the notable nine, you talk about the four, four mindsets. So if we can cover, talk about some of those, I mean, there's some <laughs> that you found that are more relevant. I mean, more important. Where does somebody start? Uh, can somebody, you know, 
if everybody says, oh, I, I need to be good at all four of these, you know, I have the, the four of these mindsets, then probably nothing changes. <laughs> yeah. Well, unfortunately, there's not one mindset that you can pick. So let, let me just quickly go over what the four mindsets are. So we have a global citizen, the servant, the chef, and the explorer. Global citizen is about thinking big picture and surrounding yourself by people who are not like you. All right. So constantly thinking about that. Next, we have the servant mindset, which is about humility and vulnerability and also understanding that there are four groups that you serve. Your leaders, if you have them, your customers, your team, and yourself practicing self-care, not selfish care. The next mindset we have is the mindset of, of the chef, which is about balancing humanity and technology. And then the last mindset we have is the mindset of the explorer. And this is where we have things like curiosity, having a growth mindset, and being agile and nimble. So you need to possess all of these things. You can imagine, for example, if you only have one of them, you're still not going to be a great leader. For example, if, you're, if you have that mindset of just balancing humanity and technology, but you're not good at thinking big picture or believing that you need to surround yourself by people who are not like you, you're still going to have a challenge. So the, the message here is, is going back to that 1% a day is you're constantly working on these mindsets and these skills, but you're doing small things on a regular basis that build these things up. So long answer to your question, you can't just pick one. CEOs who I interviewed said that you got to do all four. But look, let's be honest. If we're talking about being a great leader, if I told you to be a great leader, to make an impact, to make a difference, guide yourself and your people to success, there are just four mindsets and five skills. It's not that big a deal. There are people who have to do far more to achieve far less. And so I think we, I think we can do these four mindsets and five skills. I don't think it's as complicated as some people try to make it sound. Well, and, and as you were even going through there, I'm, I'm thinking of some of the themes that we talk about all the time, because we, we talk about grit and resilience and, you know, people need that. We're certainly going to have setbacks, but we talk about mental flexibility, the ability to deal with opposing thoughts. How, how do we, but that requires us to be open-minded, be able to listen to you and someone else and say, no, 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 Jacob's wrong. No, no, no. You know, you're not going to say it. They're wrong. You're going to say, hey, let me hear their side of the story. But how yeah. to, getting everybody to that point is obviously you know, challenge and then unlearning a lot of our behaviors. We talk a lot about being, you know, my, my phrase, and I, I give credit to Johnson Johnson A, who, who I picked this up from, is that humans are addicted to certainty. Yeah. We, we need certainty. We need that predictability. We need, we need to know that we're going to get to Disney World, but we don't want to do all the planning, <laughs> you know, to be able to do that. Jason, I know you had some, you had, I'm hogging the show here, but I know you had a couple other questions you wanted to, you, you wanted to ask Jacob. Yeah. So obviously the first thing that our listeners need to do is they need to reach out to Jacob because they need <laughs> Jacob's help and support. The second thing they need to do is they need to buy his book, The Future Leader. Those are the first two things they do. But number three, Jacob, you know, to our listeners who are business executives today who might be feeling overwhelmed. Yes, they, they need to do all of the things in the notable nine that they're going to learn about from your keynote speeches and from your book. If they're wondering, where do I start today? So I'm listening to Jacob today. He's speaking to me. What's something that I can take away that I can start doing today or tomorrow? What do you think would be that one thing you'd recommend that they start with? Probably the 1%. You know, there are a couple action items that I talk about in the book, for example, which is taking a step back and defining leadership and what it means to be a leader. I talk about things like avoiding having a typical day where every day feels like the day before. Because that's, I think, where a lot of disengagement comes from. You get into this routine and everything is, car you know, copy and paste, cookie cutter. 
it doesn't mean you need to create chaos in your life, but you know, talking to different people, participating in different meetings, trying to get involved with different projects, constantly trying to just um, avoid every day being an exact carbon copy of the day before. But I think the simplest thing is improve by 1% a day. So you know the mindsets and you know the skills. So just ask yourself on a daily basis, like what can I do to, to, to practice 1% a day today? What, what can I do? What's something small? Whether it's recognizing a coworker or a peer, whether it's exercising or eating a salad for dinner to practice that self-care, getting enough sleep, whether it's sitting in a meeting that you usually wouldn't sit in uh, or just asking some, some questions, right? Little things that you can start doing, but make sure that you do them constantly. So the easiest thing that I would do is just mentally ask yourself, what's going to be my 1% for the day? And every time you show up to work, whether it's in person or virtual, just ask yourself, what's my 1% a day and build off of that? Pretty seems pretty simple because I wish I had two days that were similar. <laughs> I wish I had I wish I had two hours recently that were, you know, similar and, and predictable that I that I can move from. Jacob, what where do you see, you know, what do you see for 2020? You know, we're almost in 2022, hard to believe. I mean, somewhere 2020 was a blur and 2021 was a, a bigger blur. Uh, you know, where do you see leadership in 2022? Uh, what, what's your, what's kind of your vision for that? Obviously the future leader, you, you've described that, but what's off, off the top of your head, what, what, what do you see happening in 2022? I think building off of more of what we're seeing this year. So, uh, you know, I definitely think the leadership transformation has, has begun and we're starting to see a lot of conversations about that. And we did last year. So my hope is that for 2022, we will even push farther into that. You know, we have the great resignation that everybody's talking about which I actually think is, is necessary. It's a good thing because we, for, for a long time as organizations, have taken advantage of the people who work there. We assume we can treat them however we want, pay them whatever we want. We don't need to care about their learning, their growth, development. And you know what? They're going to show up every single day because they have bills to pay and they need to be here. And we're starting to see this big shift from creating a place where people need to work there to creating a place where people actually want to be there. And that, to me, is what the Greek resignation is all about. It's people saying, we want to work for leaders who care about us. We want to be a part of organizations who believe in putting people first, who pay us fairly, who care about the employee experience and learning and growth and meaning and purpose and impact and all these human things that we value. And until you build and create that kind of an organization, we don't want to be there. And so finally, we're having to become these types of organizations. And so for next year, my hope is that we will continue building these types of organizations. We'll see more of them. The great resignation will turn into the great opportunity for the smart companies that are out there and, and we'll continue this shift and transformation. I mean, without breaking any confidentiality or putting on the spot, are, are there any organizations that we should keep an eye on or any leaders that usually could suggest? I mean, obviously you have 140 some to choose from, but was, was there anything that stands out? Uh, because we certainly have our long list of companies that we're trying to avoid right now. We won't mention it, but one starts with an F. So, <laughs> <laughs> I think there are a couple CEOs that, that that I admire who are doing some interesting things. You know, Satya Nadella at Microsoft, I think, has done a great job of trying to create a human an organization. Hubert Jolie is actually the former CEO of Best Buy, but I think he did a fantastic job when he transformed the organization by putting people first. Bob Chapman, who's the CEO of Barry Waymiller, 12,000-person manufacturing company. I think they're doing fascinating things. Sebastian Bazin, who's the CEO of Accor Hotels. 
you know, hundreds of thousands of employees around the world. I think they're doing some fascinating things. Before he passed away, unfortunately, the CEO of Kaiser, Bernard Tyson, I thought was, you know, an extraordinary leader who really believed in, in leadership. And he gave me this quote where he basically said, we can't, leaders can't assume they're, they live in this little bread box. They have to understand that part of their role and responsibility is to create a better world and to shape society. And I, I really love that message. So th those are some of the leaders that, that immediately come to mind that I spoke with. Cheryl Palmer at Taylor Morrison, uh, I think was a fantastic leader. It is a fantastic CEO still. So there, there, there are a few of them out there that I was very, very inspired by. And they must be after interviewing that many people to have them rise to the top of the list. So that's, uh, you're remembering them all, <laughs> but putting you on the spot. I really appreciate that. And I admire that in you. We are approaching the end of, of Geek Skeezers and Googleization this episode. We can talk to you for, for a long, long time. So much more to cover. Anything, Jason, anything, any question, anything I missed that you wanted to make sure we cover? I just wanted to share with listeners too. One of my favorite quotes from your book, Jacob, you talk about purpose and meaning. Hmm. And that's a big part of my calling in life in terms of what I have, have landed on that. That's why I'm here is to help with those things too. And there's a quote from your book, The Future Leader, that I just blew me away. And I'm going to read it directly so that I don't mess it up here. Purpose and meaning should not be a privilege at work. It should be a right for any employee at any level. And I know we've talked a lot about leaders today in particular, but I think what you alluded to just a few minutes ago is for too long, the work environment was something that was comfortable for the leadership yeah. for the owners but it wasn't comfortable for the employees. And I can't yep. help but wonder if part of the, the struggle right now is because employees are starting to stand up and say, this is about us. Like servant leadership is about being empathic and thinking about what the work experience, the culture that you've created impacts us and our families first. And then when you take care of us, we're able to take care of the stakeholders, um, yep. the customers, the vendors, the partners. And so when you touched on that, I mean, that just really sparked something within me because that's where my fire and passion comes from is that meaning and purpose are things that we often throw around. But I think we have so few organizations still yet that have really settled on that and been able to offer that to their employees. And it's got to yeah. start with the leaders first. And your model helps them do that in a beautiful way. Well, I appreciate that. Thank you very much. Jacob, it's been a pleasure. Really appreciate you taking some time. I know you got a crazy, crazy busy schedule. If if not speaking to other people, writing new content, <laughs> creating new content. So I appreciate you being on the air. What's the best way for people to get a hold of you? Well, there are a few. Actually, I can give my email. My email is Jacob at the future organization for people who want to get in touch with me. And then I can give two resources. One is if people just want to download the mindsets and skill sets as a PDF without even having to buy the book. Of course, I would love it if you buy the book. <laughs> Even if you don't, I still encourage you to practice these mindsets and skill sets and learn about them. You can go to theleadershipdigest.com. That's the Leadership Digest. And then if you want to take the assessment that a lot of these business leaders and 14,000 employees around the world have taken, you can go to the Future Leader Survey or just Future Leader Survey, I believe it is, futureleadersurvey.com. And then I encourage people to reach out to me. You know, my, my email is, I'm pretty easy to get in touch, in touch with. So send me an email, say hi. Let me know what you think about this stuff. 
And I know you're super active on LinkedIn. So I suggest people going up there and uh, if you connect with them, uh, I think there's a subscription, I guess, every morning around nine o'clock or eight, eight or nine o'clock, I get a notice on my, uh, on my phone, your new, your newsletter release. So you can subscribe yep. to that as well. So. Yep. The LinkedIn, I think we created a URL for that. I think it's, if I'm not mistaking, future of work newsletter futureofworknewsletter.com. So if people go to that URL, it should redirect them to the LinkedIn page. We'll look that um, up and we'll, we'll make sure we put it in the show notes. And, it is. Uh, I just checked. Yeah. Future of Work Newsletter. Oh, I'm glad I checked. Futureofworknewsletter.com. That'll redirect you to the uh, the LinkedIn newsletter. I highly recommend it. As I said, that's one of the things uh, an early morning pops up and it always, uh, most of the times I'm able to click in and read it and and it's like, oh, I need to talk to Jacob about that. <laughs> so, so I'm glad we were able to do that. So Jacob, please uh, thank you for all you do. Really appreciate the opportunity, you know, taking out the time to be here. And hopefully we can impact a few more lives together. So thanks. Thank you for having me. Thanks, thanks Jacob. Be safe. Take care. You too. Bye-bye. Oh, what do you say, Jason? It's like <laughs> 45 minutes isn't enough with Jacob. That's what yeah. I say. We've got to get him on again sometime. Yeah. Hope, hopefully he'll allow us, indulge us, <laughs> allow, allow us to continue to do that. But do highly recommend going out. There's so many cross messages as his talking. It certainly has so much to do with adaptability, you know, helping people. We're talking about a leadership role, but, you know, getting it down to what do we do with the frontline workers? How do we help them get more comfortable? They, you know, many people don't want to be a leader because of the challenges. You know, you ask people, you know, that, you know, I just started teaching my leadership, my organizational change leadership course, again, for master's in leadership program at, at the college. And, you know, it's, there's people that are there that, that all want to aspire to be better at what they do. Yet there's a crazy amount when they say I'm teaching leadership, they go, oh, I can never do that. And they, they just don't want that responsibility and you know to be able to do it so but they still need to become better at what they do better at adapting so that's right that's pretty crazy. And the other thing that that jacob does that i think is incredible is you know we talked a lot about leadership in terms of business today which is a big focus of his mm -hmm. he also you know talks through the lens of employee experience but the other thing that he puts out if you follow him on linkedin he has the best infographics on how to be a great leader in your home yeah. Like yeah. how, how are you a great dad? How are you a great mom? How are you a great spouse? And it's very practical, simple steps. And, and I love that because many of the leaders that we're speaking with, they probably have young kids at home. Mm -hmm. And if you're not careful, if you don't have good work-life integration, then many times that can come at the expense of those other important hats that you wear at home as well. And so he covers, covers the full spectrum. So make sure you follow him on LinkedIn, watch his content. It's helpful for all spheres of your life. And you, we keep talking about experience and having that experience. And you didn't, you didn't even, you didn't make a comment on my new title, Friction Remover. <laughs> I so, saw that. Yeah. It, I like uh, it. It came up the other day. We were talking about uh, what, what leaders, what, what people in, in future organizations need to do. And we talk, I talk a lot about candidate experience and you talk a lot about the employee experience. What do we need to do? And reality is it's removing friction. Just don't make it so difficult for people to have a good experience. I mean, so a lot of it is, is that people want to do that, but we just put so many hurdles in there that, you know, our FCDD, frustration, confusion, disappointing, and distracting, we just put up one hurdle after the other 
in order to do some pretty simple tasks. And by removing that, you'll create a better experience. And, you know, that's, a, that's one step at a time, the 1% a day was one thing you can do today to, to remove some friction in somebody's life. So absolutely new, new title. <laughs> I love it. And one of the presentations I'm working on that feeds in so well, we're talking about complexity kills progress and how to lead remote teams. Oh, absolutely. At the end of the day, what gets done and what gets done well is simplifying things and doing it exceedingly well. It's a great way to close the show. Another episode of Geek Skeezers and Googleization. I want to thank everybody. Uh, it's hard to believe we're at the end of October. This is the last episode for the first 10 months. We'll be back in November next week, Wednesdays, as we always are, 1 p.m. Eastern Time, Geek Skeezers, Googleization. If you're not a member of Googleization Nation yet, please do so. Go up and join GoogleizationNation.com. It's free. All we need is your first name and an email. And uh, you'll be on our list for updates and webinars and other exciting things that are coming out. Until next week, don't let the shift hit your plans. 